0: So the topic that I've, I've decided for this evening, and I, I thank the family for giving me the opportunity to, to honor Jeff in the way that I think he would want to be honored in, in learning Torah. He was uh, such a critical and, and important member of our community in so many different ways. And initially, my thoughts were to lean towards Pirke Avot's ethics of the fathers, which was something that was so dear to him. And in many ways, we will touch on that. But I think that we are leading up to Shavuot. We're leading up to uh, the culmination of the Sefirah to period. And this period of time, which is uh, the custom has become to mourn the 24,000 students of Rebbe Akiva that passed away during this period of time between Pesach and Shavuot. Um, so I figured let's just take a little bit of an insight. Um, something I've been working on. Um, I think quite a quite a... Interesting approach, and I hope you, you find some, not only find it uh, interesting, but hopefully uh, pertinent to each and every one of you as well. So let's start with the sheet in front of you. If you have any questions, by all means, please unmute yourself at that point. But um, here we go. So this is a story that we're all, very quite fam- we're all very familiar with it, and we're gonna take a look at its inside to try and understand the deeper um, implications as a result of the fact of why are we mourning during this period. So this is a Gemara that comes in It's the first source on the sheet. It says as follows: Amru They say Rabbi Asa elef Zugim tamidim hayu lola Rebbe Kiva. Rebbe Kiva had twelve thousand pairs of students. So students in Yeshiva usually study in pairs called Chavrutot. So twenty-four thousand students. So Rebbe Yekiv had twenty-four thousand students. So Migivat from, um, from this side of the country to the other. And all of them died in one period of time as a result of not showering covered, not showing honor from one to the other. And the whole world was desolate until until Rabbi Akiva came to our rabbis in the south and he taught them. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Lazar, Ben Shemua so there's the name of five of the students. And in that period of time, they were the ones who re-established the Torah centers. So these 24,000 students, you know, which was, one would imagine, the entirety of Jewish Israel or religious rabbinic Israel um, in a very short period of time. Perik is not clear. When you say from Pesach to Shavuot, was it in one year? Possibly. Um, but an enormous amount of students passed away and there was nothing. There was absolutely no... Uh, no rabbinic leadership at all until Rabbi Akiva came to the south and he found his five other students which he redeveloped and they started it all over again so the Gemara continues um, uh, Tana Pesach so they all passed away between Pesach and Atzeret in the Talmud the word Atzeret means Shavuot they all passed away between Pesach and Shavuot so, they all passed away from a terrible illness or disease called Askara, which I think is translated as diphtheria. I'm not certain. But this is the, the, the basic story that we begin with with Rabbi Akiva. Now, the interesting thing about this is these 24,000 students, if you're familiar with the story of Rabbi Akiva, the story goes that Rabbi Akiva at the age of 40 was completely unlettered. And he was a simple shepherd. And uh, the daughter of his, uh, his employer, employer was named, a guy named Kalba Savu, came to him and said, I see potential in you. If you go and study, I will marry you. So the famous story goes, Kiva Akiva says, impossible at the age of 40 to start studying. So he goes, and as he's wandering around, he sees water dripping on a rock. And he, sa- and he sees that over time, the water has borne a hole. And he eroded away a hole in the rock. And he says... You know, if it's possible that water that is so soft can uh, penetrate a rock that is so hard, surely the fire of Torah will be able to penetrate my heart. And he goes and he learns in Yeshiva and he says he goes and learns for uh, 12 years and he comes back with 12,000 students. And his wife, who had been disowned at this point by her father as a result of, uh, of marrying Rabbi Akiva, so she's almost completely destitute. And Rabbi Akiva marches up to the front door to see his, uh, to greet his wife after 12 years of study. About to knock on the door, and he overhears a conversation taking place inside, where her, where her neighbors are complaining, "How can you be married to this guy, Akiva? He's abandoned you for 12 years. You know, you should leave him." She says, "You know, he's accomplishing so much that uh, even if he were to turn around, if he were not to be for another 12 years, I'd be equally happy." To which Rabbi Akiva turns around, marches back to the yeshiva, and 12 years later, returns with 24,000 students. 24,000 students says, and when she comes, when his wife Rachel comes out to greet him, you know all the students very protective, very much even not knowing who this old, uh, decrepit woman, as a result of 24 years of austerity, and he stops him all and says, you should know that all of mine, all I've accomplished, all that you've accomplished as a result of it, and these are the 24,000 students that died between Pesach and Shavuot. Ordinarily, you'd say that it's, it's a shocking story, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad in every sense, but which just um, heightens and, and grows the challenge is something that, dare I say, if I were to say, Amar Rebbe Akiva to any kid, they say, what does Rebbe Akiva say? So everyone says, oh, and this is our, uh, this is, it's brought a good morning, you me, it's brought a number of st- statements, I bring it here on the second source. So it says, I'm going to go just to the end. Uh, that, that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. It says, Rabbi Akiva comes and says, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is the greatest principle in the Torah. So loving your neighbor like you love yourself, if you look at the whole, you know, what's it all built on? It's built on this idea that, you know, you have to be able to look to somebody else and treat them with enormous amount of respect and appreciation and, and, and gratitude as you would hope for yourself. And according to Rabbi Akiva, this is the greatest mitzvah in the Torah, or least the most important and fundamental aspect of the Torah. So for Rabbi Akiva, this is the most fundamental aspect. And yet his own students, you know, they, there's a am not sure what the English version, the Hebrew statement, is, you know, I think it's the, um, the children of the copper go barefoot. That's how it's uh, said in Hebrew. So, um, the same thing here. You have Rabbi Akiva, who's his, you know, his raison detra is the hafterecha and his own students themselves, you know, don't show cover, don't shower cover for one to the other. So, it's, it's quite strange. So, how is it that this important lesson of Rebbe Akiva somehow never got translated into the next generation? So, that is our question that I would like to deal with this evening. So, to carry on, this idea that Rebbe Akiva's uh, students died as a result of not showing covered Zelazeh, honor to one another, is something that's not entirely agreed on by all the, uh, all the, all the Mafarishim. So, there's a statement in Chazal, brought it over here in Bereshit Rabba, the Medrash in Bereshit, and it brings a slightly different version of what, this, uh, what exactly was the crime of Rebbe Akiva's students that warranted their death. So it says, "You debate Elef Talmi Dima Yula Rabbi Yeah, it says he yeah, had twelve thousand students, rather than twelve thousand uh, pairs, but twelve thousand students. Miakuvar uh, anti brass. V'kulam metu beperikechad lama sha'ita enayim sarah elu ba'elu. Eyes were narrowed regarding one another. Now, ein sarah is 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 very different to kavod ze so the, this term, so for those who uh, were paying attention a couple of weeks ago in Pasha Tazriya Mutsara, this this concept of having narrowed eyes is a concept that comes up a number of different places within the Torah, and the way it's understood is specifically in the in the idea of um, of Kavod Sorry, so Rash. So I've just skipped too far down. And it comes over here, the Gemara, in Arachim at the top of the page, over here, it says, So it's talking here. Now, in the beginning of Tazria Mazzara, it talks about this affliction called Sarat. Serat is, sometimes it's called leprosy, but it's a physical disease that is caused from a spiritual... Failing within an individual. So, usually the way we understand it is Loshon Hora. When you speak Loshon Hora, you get afflicted with this disease called But the Gemara and brings seven different uh, reasons for this particular disease. And one of them is Loshon Hora, but the others are Gasad Ruach, Vagezel, Vat Sarot, Ain. So tsarot ein. So the word tsarot ein. So mitzora is the tzadi rash and the ein from ein. Mitzora is tsarot ein. So this whole disease that comes in afflicts is uh, called ayin. So What does Rashi say? This is tsarot ein. Titzara enav einob achirim veinu maanes shcheinav mikelav ayde shela. It means being stingy. It means the inability to be able to share your positions with others. So where this comes up in the Gomorrah, so just to explain the context, in Parshat in, in Mitzorah, it tells us when we get to the land of Israel and we inherit homes and we, we, take, uh, we take inheritance of the land there, it could be that what happened is that on your home, you see something that looks like tsarite. So it could look like mold, but you weren't certain. So, what you would do is you'd call the Kohen to come over and inspect. But prior to calling over the Kohen, you'd have to remove all the utensils from the house, all your furniture, take it outside, because once the Kohen arrives and he designates that this is in fact Sarai, so then everything in the house is tomato, is impure, and would have to be disposed of. But if you can remove it from the house prior to him arriving, you could potentially save it. So, that's the idea. But the Medrash understands it slightly differently. So this is the medras in Vaikarabah down below and it says, Adu di a quotes says, So it says, What happened? Adam omelechaberu. Uh just nuts notes on this. A person says to his friend, Hishalani can you lend me a, a kilo of flour? Amulo He says, I'm sorry, I'd love to, but I don't have. It. Maybe you've got a kilo of, 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 of barley. says marim. Maybe you've got a, a kilo of dates. So the woman says to her fellow, "Ishelani nafa. Can you can I borrow a sift from you?" She says, "I'd love to. I'm sorry, I don't have one." Can I borrow a so two cases that the major brings is that you, you go to a neighbor and you ask to borrow sugar, flour, whatever the case may be. So I said, I'd love to help you, I can't help you out. Then what does Hashem do? karush Baruch what does Hashem do? Megareh nega'im Beto. Says He makes, Hashem will put these nega'im, these, these things in your house. And so now you've got this mold growing on your wall. You have to get the Kohen, but what are you gonna do before the Kohen gets there? you have got to take everything else and put it on the curb. So when the kohen arrives. He doesn't tell me your whole house. So what's going to happen? I came to you yesterday. I said, oh, John, can I please borrow your lawnmower? He said, yeah, I would love to, but I don't have a lawnmower. Then what happens is John sees Sarai in his house, calls the coin, but before the coin comes, he's got to take everything else. And now what's on the, on the doorstep? His lawnmower. And I walk past him and say, ah, oh, I thought he didn't have a lawnmower. So that's the way that the rabbis understood this whole process. This is, uh, didn't you tell me yesterday, you don't have anything? Look how much flour you've got, you've got so much, you've lent me nothing. So the way the rabbis understood it was that the tsarat came from tsarot ayim, from being stingy, but not being able to give other people. So that is, when you see your possessions as mine and only mine, and I refuse to give to anybody else, so that is what sarot Ayin is. And according to the Madraship we read, that is why Rabbi Akiva's students died. Not because they weren't showering covered to one another, but because they were Saruot Ayin, they were stingy. Now, just quick. I couldn't refuse, but putting it in is that there's a, we are just over a week away from Shavuot. The opening line, of uh, the book of Ruth that comes on that we read on Shavuot starts in the day of the judges, there's a terrible famine in the land. And a man from Lechem in the tribe of Yuda went with his wife and two sons, and went to the plains of Moab So it says ish, a man went. This man is Eli Melech. It says He was a very wealthy man and he was one of the uh, Gvirs, one of the wealthy men of the community and he left Israel to go to the diaspora because he, did not, he was the giver of town. There was economic austerity in the land of Israel. Everyone was banging on his door, starving, they needed help, he could not Handle it. Every, all these schnorrers coming and begging day and night. To so what he do? He gets up and he leaves. So this is the, the opening thing of of, of uh, Seferut, This concept of tsarot ayin. So apparently Rabbi Akiva's <coughs> apparently Rabbi Akiva's uh, student's big big crime was exactly that. Now. There's a beautiful idea. This work, I don't know what this block was supposed to be on the sheets here, yeah, but for some reason it's moved. But um, Rabbi Kiver's students did it. So I found this beautiful uh, piece. It's brought down, this is a, a book called the Site Chaim, which was written by Rav Chaim Friedlander, passed away, I'm not mistaken, about 20 years ago. Um, and he quotes a fascinating insight which really opens up this whole story in the name of the Panavich Arav. Panevich Arav was uh, Rav Kahanaman. Um, he was uh, one of the most well-known, not only fundraisers, but uh, in the initial establishment of the State of Israel, really being able to build the Torah community, predominantly the nebra But uh, Rav Kahanaman, so he says as follows. So he quotes uh, his problem that he's dealing with is why, you know, the, the Medrash says two different things either that uh, Rebbe Akiva's students died because they didn't show respect and honor for one another, or because they were stingy, so it says like, is there any commonality between those? So he says as follows, he explained it as follows, there's no question, if you had been around, what would you have seen within the students of Rebbe Akiva? They lacked their Eretz and cover that did not show respect to one another. So let me explain this using a bit of a, I can see some doctors on the, on the court, any psychologist, any businessman, anyone in life knows that the presenting problem is never the problem. So people come to doctors with symptoms, they don't come with problems. So the person comes in and says, I have a terrible headache, and if the problem is hypertension, they've got high blood pressure, so taking Panadol is not gonna help them out. It's you gotta deal with the underlying problem. The same thing is with regards to in the world of uh, therapy. When a person comes into therapy, and whatever they tell you the problem is that is causing them to come to therapy, that is not the problem that is the symptom so um, my children don't listen to me. my wife doesn't treat me harshly my husband doesn't have time for me that is not the problem that is the symptom there's an underlying problem so he says as follows it says, what do really do to your students? says the problem the underlying problem is sarot ain. you guys have this perspective on life that you are so narrowly focused to what you have and what's yours and what belongs to you, that the the way that it will manifest itself in an interpersonal relationship is that you won't be able to respect anybody else. You lack respect because you have So that is his, and it's a a brilliant explanation. It says, So you go around and you say, oh, people are not respecting one another. This is a terrible, terrible problem. It says that one cannot accept the greatness and importance of our lawyer, but none of the people around at the time appreciated what was the underlying cause of the problem. And so, when you deal with symptoms, like in medicine, if you have a real problem and all you're doing is taking a symptom relief medication. It will never cure it, it will just delay, so the headache goes away for now, but it'll come come back tomorrow. And same to interpersonal relationships. If you're saying, you know what you need to do? You need to respect your fellow man, you need to treat him with covert, but you can treat your fellow man with covert and still hate him. So you haven't resolved the underlying problem. How often is the idea that we see our fellow human beings and we make as if we appreciate them, respect them, admire them, but reality is we have no time for them whatsoever. So that is what Rabbi, Rabbi Chaim Freeland is highlighting over here. Maybe a Kiva students, they, let this, they had this problem of tsarot ein, and it manifested itself by not being able to show cover one and another. Okay. So we hold for there for a second. One of the big problems when we read story, when we know stories like stories from the Gemara is we never contextualize them. All we do is we, we read them, you know, as if. So, like I just told you the story of Rebbe Kivir, 12,000 students from this side of the country to that side, and you know, all died between Pesach and Shavuot, and because they didn't show cover for one another. Until so Rebbe Kivir taught these five new ones, and they started again, and all died from this terrible disease. Now, that's how we started the shim. But that is, you take a, a, a Gomorrah, which is a, a long, you know, a long, uh, what's called a sugya, a long section of the Gomorrah, and he just picked out the story of Rabbi Akiva and his students. But that story doesn't come out of nowhere. It's part of a much bigger part of the Gomorrah. It's a much, it's 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 taken out of context. Take any book out of context. You take one passage out of context. You know, I was given a shir the other night. I can't remember what it was, and some, I said something like, you know. You know, it's, it's something is crazy, like you say something crazy like, uh, like Stalin had a very good idea. Now, if you cut it out and all you do is you have a picture of me saying Stalin had a very good idea. It really doesn't present what I was saying accurately. It, it distorts it. You've got to see it in context. So, what's the context of that story? Rabbi Keeper's students. So, the context starts as follows. Now, this is something that I think many of you would uh, know quite well. And it's the story that the, um, that the Gemara asks about to fulfill the mitzvah of being fruitful and multiply. The first, first command that's given to Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden, how does one fulfill the mitzvah? Practically, how many children do you have there? So it's a Mishnah Nivamot, and it says as follows. Lo tel Adami piriya or banim. So a person should always try to have children, Unless they already have children, you've got to do your best to be fruitful and multiply, unless you have children. So, how many children? So, Beit Shammai says, Shnei You have to have two sons. Omrim you've got to have a son and a daughter. So, this is a dispute between Beit Shammai and Beit Tilo of exactly how many children one has to have in order to fulfill the mitzvah. So, either two sons or a son and a daughter. Now, the Gemara continues with um, a question on it. Firstly, it's trying to figure out who is the author of this particular uh, Mishnah, who wrote this? So it says, It definitely can't be Rabbi Yoshua's opinion, why? Because Rabbi Yoshua married, So this Rabbi Yehuda is one that, if you've ever asked, why do Frumas have so many children? So that has got nothing, because again, the Mishnah is very clear, two children, you fulfill the mitzvah. So there's, there's no need to have any more children. So why do Frumas have so many children? So that's based on this statement from Rabbi Yeshua. If a man got married in his youth, he should marry a woman when he's older. If, he, if his, his if marriage doesn't succeed or his wife passes away, he should get remarried. You see this from Avram Avinu, that after Sarah dies, Avram gets remarried to Ketorah. Um, and if he has uh, children when he's young, you he should also have children when he's old. You shouldn't stop having children. You have children when you're young, you have children when you're old. He quotes a passage from Kohelet from Ecclesiastes, which says, In the morning you should sow your seed, Now, and in the evening, you should not rest. So, the the Gemara is understanding this figuratively. What does it mean you should sow your seed? Not that you should go out into the field, but rather you should have children in the morning, and in the evening, you should also have children. In the morning, yeah, means when you're young, in the evening, means when you're older. You should consistently say you should have uh, children. Why? Because you never know which ones are going to succeed. So, the, the way it's understood in Ecclesiastes and, and quality you should always plant seeds because you don't know which seeds are going to grow, some will grow, some won't grow, same with raising children. So are you going to raise you know, your best children when you're a young father, or an old father, you never know. So you should just keep having children and hopefully some of them will turn out good. That's the way the Gomorrah is understood. Says uh, Rabbi Akiva. If you taught students when you were young, you should still have, you shouldn't say, I taught all my students in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, now that I'm 80, I don't need to teach students anymore. I've done. So he uses the same verse to which the first Rebbe Yeshua comes and says, you should get remarried, or you should have rich lots of children, young old. Rebbe Kiva replies that to his students and, what I, and so how do you know Rebbe Akiva that you should not only have students when you're young, but have students when you're old. So, it says, it says How do you know? Because he had 24,000 students. He had 24,000 students. They all died. So, what did Rebbe Akiva now, he's an older man. He's at least 64, because he was 24 years in Yeshiva, so he's at least 64. All his students have died. So, what does Rebbe Akiva do? So you'd say, if we say, you know, you have your children and finish, so you don't have any more children. But what does Rabbi Akiva do? Ah, he keeps going. He starts building up from scratch. Why? Because just because you had, you know, in the morning, plant your seed, that's the original 24,000. In the evening, don't give up, keep going. So Rabbi Akiva goes and teaches these new five students, and now again, Torah and proliferate through the country. Why? because Rabbi Akiva understood you should never stop teaching. And so that is the proof. The whole story of Rabbi Akiva's students is there to show that even though you had students when you are younger, you should keep teaching while you were older. Okay, so that's Rabbi Akiva's olcha. The whole point of this Gomorrah of, of Rabbi Akiva's students is not to teach the story of Rabbi Akiva's students. It's to show that you should keep teaching students. So even if you had 24,000 students, so you had this beautiful yeshiva, and, and it was all wiped off. So how often have we been invested in a particular project? And you pour time and effort into the project. And despite all your efforts, it fails. So what do you do now? Do you give up and say, all right, I tried it, it failed. End of story. What do you say? All right, I'm going to pick up and go again. You keep going. You keep building. So every student you, you have, you know, uh, you just got to keep picking up and going again. So that's the greatness of your Kiva. Now... The original question we had was the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died because it didn't show covered for one another. And then we said, but this is so um, counterintuitive because Rabbi Akiva was the man who said, kamocha, that was the most important principle in the Torah. So let's to ask the question: when did Rabbi Akiva say that? See, so often when we read um, personalities in the Torah. So you say, Rebbe Kiva said something over here and Rebbe Kiva said something over there and they, they seem to contradict one another. They contradict one another if they were both said at the same time. But maybe one was said at one period in his life and the other was said at another period in his life. I mean, if you, you quote me from 10 years ago giving you, a philosoph- you know, some, uh, some statement, even a psakalachah. I mean, I know psak halacha, if you if you come to ask me that when I asked certain rabbinim, you go to Israel for a holiday on Pesach, do you keep one day or two days, and people used to say, you keep two days, now say you keep one day. They change. Your perspective changes. So when did Rabbi Akiva say, you have to do a recha kamorcha. So it says, Rabbi Akiva said that with his second group of students. So the first two group of students didn't get it. That was the Tzara Day. Yeah. So you guys, all these 24,000 students died. They died. Why did they die? Because, yes, they didn't show ze zele there. they weren't showing respect for one another. And why was that? Because they were so dying because they had this inability to see, you know, the inability to share, the inability to, to, to give cover to their fellow men. So that is, I think, a, a, a nice understanding. But there was a beautiful Gomorrah that comes up on this week's parsha. that we all read in the shul today, right? We all read this, this parasha this morning. So the Gemara comes and says, This is a famous Gemara based on a passage from this week's parsha. It's a Gemara in uh, Baba Metzia It says as follows. Just try to scroll up here. There were two men walking through a. Um, so let me just. Uh, yeah. Two men walking on the way, and only one of them has a flask of water. If they both drink from it, they will both die. But if the one who has the water drinks it, he will survive, but his friend will definitely die. So what should you do? This is the halachic question. This is not a real question that happened. It was a hypothetical that was raised in the Beit Midrash. So Reuven and Shimon will walk in the desert. Reuven's got a flask of water. If he shares it with Shimon, they'll both die. If he keeps it for himself, Shimon will definitely die and he'll survive. What should you do? Darash Ben Petura. Ben Petura said, "Better They should both drink from it and both die, lest one sit and watch his friend die. We have a mitzvah. Uh, you should not stand idly by and watch the blood of your brother being spilt. You cannot stand idly by. And yes, so you might both die. Maybe a miracle happened, maybe one. But you, have, you cannot allow someone to just stand by and allow them to die. That's what Ben Peturah says. So Rabbi Akiva comes and what does he say? This is the passage from this exposure. Which talks about when you see somebody destitute, you've got to help them out in their difficult uh, financial position. And they should live with you. So it says, <laughs> Your life proceeds and comes before the life of your fellow. You come first, everybody else comes second. Now, that is a halachic, you know, in, in the world of charity. The charity starts at home. And the same thing with regards to how we protect our own lives. So the Klaugador of Rebbe Kiva. You ask everyone, this is the golden rule. Every religion, every faith group in the world has this golden rule. Come on, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And everyone understands it. That the key, what's the key of it? So everyone understands it, that the whole key is you have to love your neighbor. Don't disparage your neighbor. Don't think badly about your neighbor. You've got to treat your neighbor well. That's what everybody thinks the mitzvah is. So it says Rebbe, no. You have to love yourself. If you do not love yourself, you cannot love your neighbor. Your love comes first. The whole idea of Rebbe Akiva's brilliance here. It wasn't the fact that we have to care about other people. Yes, of course you've got to care about other people. But if you don't care about yourself... If you don't see any value within yourself, you are incapable of showing love to anybody else. If you hate yourself, if you think that you're worthless, if you don't value yourself, so you're incapable of being able to shower love and affection upon anybody else, you have to kamokha. The only way you can have her is if you have ahava, kamoha for the way you love yourself. And that is, you understand, what is sarat ein. Sarat Iron is the ability, and the, the Mishnah and talks a bit more about this. It says that you're so concerned and you are so insecure that if you give to other people, it will somehow disparage you. They will take from you. Not only as a person stingy, you know, stingy with your money is one thing, but when you're completely stingy, you stingy with your compliments. So, why are people stingy with their compliments? Because I realize that if I compliment somebody else and I give them honor, what does it say about me? It means I'm not so great. I don't have a, the, something worth honoring. I can't honor him, because every time I honor him, it's a disparaging my own honor. So everybody walks around with this level of insecurity that I'm incapable of giving other people cover because when they get covered, it's disparaging my own cover. So comes Rebbe Akiva, and he says, they all died of sarat iron. What do you mean they died of sarat They weren't shown honor for one another. But they weren't not showing honor and respect for one another because they thought they were better than each other. They weren't showing honor for one another because they were so insecure of each other. That is, who's the top dog in the Yeshiva? Everybody thought he was the odd man out. Everyone thought that they, they they weren't valuable in the Yeshiva. And if I show respect to my fellow man, what's he going to say about me? He's going to say that he's important and I'm not important. So Rebbe Akiva sees all of this and he says, okay, I'm going down to the Darum. I'm going to restart the Beit Midrash. I'm going to restart the Yeshiva, and the, what is going to be, you know, on the on the entrance of the Yeshiva, as you walk in, kamocha. <speaking in> but what's the key, kamocha? <speaking in> Today we are going to teach you where your value is, because chayecha <speaking> kodmi, <in> your life comes first. That until you realize your self worth, that you have got to, you have got what to contribute to this world, and the success. And achievements of others are not failures in yourself. And the ability to appreciate and enjoy and join in the simcha and successes of others, that is what makes us great. So until you can be loving yourself and realize that you come first, and once you love yourself and you appreciate yourself and you know your value in the world, then you will be able to instill it within everybody else and you have no problem showering covered onto your fellow man. And that was the great Khilish of Rabbi Akiva, that this whole process went about in a completely different, a completely different trajectory. This wasn't a matter of everybody super secure and everyone disparaging one another. No, everyone was speaking, Loshonari. you know, this is around the time, just after the destruction of the Second Temple, which you say, is because people, it was sinachinam, hatred for one man for another on Horror is not spoken by super confident people. It is spoken by super insecure people. Sarit, so I being stingy, it's treating other people inappropriately, looking negatively upon our fellow man are not signs of great strength. They are hiding our great weaknesses, and that is the brilliance of Rebbe Akiva, and that is what he sought to correct with his um, with his second set of students. You know, when we when we when we Remember, Jeff, one of the things that, uh, I mean, th- there are so many qualities that he taught. And for me, there's no question that the, the, the characteristics that Jeff you know, imprinted upon me and my experience was never anything that Jeff said. Um, it was everything that Jeff did. The fact that he was really the individual who suffered so much pain and trauma over the last years of his life, but never complaining and never being a burden on anyone and being able to carry himself with such a disposition of a ma'amin bashem of somebody who had enormous faith in Hashem, that it was all happening and was directly from Hashem. But even once Jeff retired and uh, left the roofing business, all his time and effort was investing in helping people build their businesses, being able to find ways of allowing other people to succeed I've been other, giving other people an opportunity to become great. And the ability of Jeff to be able to dedicate his time and effort to achieve, helping others achieve success and being able to enjoy the successes of others, not just his family, which he club Nakhers, but to be able to appreciate and enjoy the successes of all those around them and to somehow do everything he can to help them along their way. He really was a man who was And even though, you know, maybe I do not know what happened in, you know, behind closed doors at night. But in order to be the man like that, you would have to have a certain amount of to be really appreciative and acknowledge who he was that Hashem had given him unique set of talents and unique set of abilities that he used in this world to make the world a better place. The world is a lesser place as a result of his absence. And uh, tonight as we commemorate his first Yotzot, may his soul be bound up in the bond of everlasting peace. May he be a, a memory and a blessing to his families, to Cheryl, to and Sandra, to Anthony, Talia and Anthony, to Gabe and Dave, and to all your families. Wish you a long life. And yeah, may his memory always be a Abraham. Tia Nishmato Baruch, Amen. Thank you everyone. Uh, maybe, I don't know if anyone in the family wants to unmute themselves and say anything before we um, end this evening. No, just shwayak uh, to you Rabbi, thank you very much. And uh, whoever says you couldn't get 50 plus people for a shira on a Motzei Shabbos, uh, may they never be heard again. Uh, but uh, seriously though, we do really appreciate all the support that uh, you and the community have given the family um, and please God, we should only know Simcha's going forward. Alright. All right. Thank you very much everyone. Um, Laila Tov, I'm going to stop sharing now. If anyone would like to say anything, I'm just going to stop recording.